This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. All right, welcome for our new episode of podcast. And I'm here in uh, Liverpool, John Moss University, and I'm glad to have a guest, James Shelley. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having us. Yeah, so you're doing research with the cystic fibrosis patients. Uh, could you tell us a little bit how did you end up in Liverpool doing this kind of research? Yeah, no problem. So I came to Liverpool for my undergraduate and master's degree. Uh, during my master's, I did a placement at one of the hospitals locally, which has a CF center. Yeah. Um, and having experienced CF there and enjoyed it, when I then went to work in the big bad world afterwards, I looked for a job working with CF patients. Went away and worked in the NHS for a couple of years uh, as a sort of exercise physiologist with CF. Yeah. And then a PhD was advertised, which brought me back to Liverpool, looking at physical activity. Yeah. So, so did you kind of find out in your work that there's this need for for this kind of research with the CF patients? So, how did you ended up doing research and not doing the practical work? Uh, so, I guess the reason I went to to CF initially is I'd spent a lot of years training as an exercise physiologist with the, the intent of using exercise as sort of treatment and management of disease and it's sort of at the moment it's becoming a little more popular in CF, um, previously it wasn't so much of an issue and other therapies took priority but as other therapies are improving then exercise offers the potential to improve quality of life a little more on people with CF All right. and so it's sort of an emerging field at the moment. So I took the opportunity to try and work and get involved in it, uh, but I still think there's a lot of research before it becomes really established within CFCO that they have exercise physiologists, not all teams, and it's not standard for exercise to be delivered as part of the management of CF currently. Yeah, yeah, and you said that the other treatments have uh, gone forward, so now it's kind of the yeah, easiest so way to improve is, is through physical activity. tried not to be too bleak about it, but uh, essentially people were dying of other things before they became inactive and had any sort of comorbidities associated with being inactive. They would mm. usually die for a spiritual disease before that became an issue, but now because other therapies improved, life expectancy is also improving. Mm. So exercise can complement those therapies and help people with CF manage the condition a little bit better, mm. um, which may not have been so useful back in the days before these therapies were so advanced. Yeah, so how, how long there has been research about CF and, and physical activity or, or this kind of line of research? So the, the big key seminal paper which linked uh, mortality in CF with exercise capacity, uh, assessed using BO2, was about 1992. All right, um, yeah, so quite quite new field. Yeah, still quite novel. Yeah, and and if you tell a little bit more about what is, what is your PhD exactly about? Yeah, so my PhD is just in adults with CF, 
And what we look to do is first of all, look at the assessments we use. So how we measure physical activity in this group and see if we can determine whether people with CF are more or less active than their peers and how that might contribute to the, the health status. And then what we intend to do, which will be the next coming year or so of my PhD is to try and develop an intervention, uh, work with patients and clinicians to try and devise an intervention and deliver it hmm. and see if we can increase physical activity and obviously measure the impact that may have on some health outcomes. Yeah, so how, how does it look, the initial results? Is the How is the physical activity level? So the, yeah. the first thing we did was go back and look at the literature and over the sort of 30 years worth of literature it is, there have been various assessment methods, uh, lots of different things reported and it's just really difficult to get a really clear idea because of all the different methods that have been used and all the different outcomes reported. Mm. So it's a little bit murky. Uh, with the patients that we have, they probably, so they don't meet guidelines for physical activity, but that's not to say they're any less active than the general population, mm, yeah. because the general population, most don't meet the guidelines as well, so it's difficult to judge them by the guidelines. Um, but also we have some issues in the, the methods we use to assess physical activity in this population. Mm. Typically, devices use energy expenditure cut points or counts to measure physical activity and mm. they may not be appropriate in CF populations. So why, 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 why is that? Is it somehow different? Yeah, so energy expenditures increased in CF, somewhere between 50% and 100% more energy requirements mm. than the average person, and that's just at rest. Uh, so we, we truly don't know what the, the sort of energy cost of physical activity is in CF. And much like if you do physical activity research in elderly populations, What's vigorous in an 80-year-old individual in terms of an accelerometer might not be the same as what's vigorous for a young, fit 20-year-old in terms of just raw acceleration. Mm. All right, that's interesting. So basically, even the even the resting energy expenditure is much higher. Mm -hmm. And how, how does it affect, like, I'm thinking the training effect in a way that if, if it's higher already and mm -hmm. in slow walking, if it's double, is that already just enough trainings stimuli to the body or, or have you thought how, how does it go with the increased energy expenditure how does it yeah <laughs> just wondering how does it work with these these patients so as do you think that the the cost of exercise may be higher in this group in terms of energy expenditure yeah I, I don't know you you probably know it better like uh, well, the, the the research isn't really the to look at the energy expenditure cost of exercise. I mean, we know that substrate utilization is different in CF, so they may not right. use the same fuels to do their exercise as somebody else might. Yeah. Uh, there seems to be some reasonably good evidence to support that theory, but yeah, knowing the true cost in terms of energy expenditure is quite tricky. All right. Yeah. And what that would would that wouldn't necessarily tell us that they're working harder than a peer or not. Hmm. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And and how how are you at the moment? How how do you assess their physical activity levels? Uh, so we're using accelerometry and yeah. we're looking at the raw accelerations. Yeah. Uh, and currently tying with the intensity gradient. All right. And and you have it on the hip or on the wrist? Wrist one. Wrist one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And has there been any any difficulties with these patients? Anything like 
that you need to consider using the wrist wrist one accelerometer with these patients so is it same as with the with the control group no on the whole it's been pretty good compliance has been good so far from the data we've had back um haven't had any sort of technical issues or anything to sort it seems to be pretty good fairly happy with it yeah yeah and how how large population you, you uh, we have about 30 patients so quite small all right yeah oh, that's interesting and, and this is the first stage of your PhD to measure, just to assess the levels, mm-hmm. and then you plan to do your intervention based yeah. on these results. Yeah. All right. Uh, have, have you already planned the intervention? What, what yeah, we've planned the intervention process, but we're looking at doing a formative process. Uh, so it's going to be quite qualitative in nature. It's going to involve interviews and focus groups with patients and clinicians mm. and getting their feedback on what they think an intervention should look like, how it may be delivered, what they feel the important outcomes to assess the intervention would be. Mm. Uh, by the end of my PhD, we will probably only get as far as piloting it. As that process of sort of participatory, participatory mm. research will probably be quite a long process in itself. Yeah, yeah. No, sounds like a good approach to actually interview people and ask how this this could work yeah. and, and the clinicians. What's really interesting about CF is they are real experts in their condition. It's for someone who does a couple of years research and reads some journal articles, I don't really have the insight of somebody who lives with this condition every day from birth. So um, these are a well informed, good group of people that know the condition. So they every day need to actually pay attention and and, and it's treat themselves. It's their way of life, you know, they're born with it and every day they, they manage their condition and live with it. Yeah. And likewise with the families. Yeah. So so do you think that the the physical activity and, and intervention to increase it might be too much or do you think they can handle it better because they have, are so used to treating themselves so what, what, what do you well, expect what I what I tend to saw in practice was that exercise was a bit of a treatment so it's like you do your physiotherapy you take your drugs you do your exercise and it's you know if they could take a, an exercise tablet of okay I'll do 30 minutes of exercise a day then they'd probably go ahead and do it it's just mm. sort of okay I need to run on a treadmill 30 minutes and that'll keep me healthy but it's I think the the good thing about looking to do a physical activity intervention is we can add it in the lifestyle and it can be just, you know, all the little things like walking instead of driving or taking the stairs and just increasing habitual activity rather than giving them this prescription of do this for this amount of time. And it may be a sort of series of motivations or whatever it may be to get people just to incorporate more activity into the daily life. Mm. Uh, Maybe just reduce a bit of sedentary time instead of going out and saying, Here's your exercise prescription. Take it as prescribed. Do that. So it takes all the fun out of being active. Mm. And, and how, how do you see, you mentioned sedentary behavior. Do you see that it's more important to have the low intensity activity or actually like more vigorous activity per se? I think there will be different people within the group, within the cohort, that would benefit from different parts. So the, there's a huge spectrum of the condition. There's lots of different mutations in the same gene, which means some people have really severe disease, some have mm. quite mild forms. So those guys that are currently highly sedentary, you'd probably be quite happy if you just got them to reduce their sedentary time and do a bit more light activity. But then right at the other end of the spectrum, you get some guys that are competing at elite level sport and you know, very capable of doing more vigorous activity. 
And um, so yeah, I think you just got to take a bit of a tailored approach with this group. I don't think there's a one size fits all. Yeah, I actually have one one friend in the gym. He's doing doing martial arts as a as a professional, mm. and yeah, he has the condition. So it's it's mm. quite amazing that he can he can actually compete mm. on on a high level. How 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 do you see it? Is it how how can you be an even an athlete with the with the CF? What what Working hard, I think. Yeah. Working hard. I wouldn't want to belittle any athlete with CF and say that they may have a mild disease because even a mild form of CF, well, just to be an elite athlete when you don't have a condition is hard enough. So mm. to do it with any sort of condition that requires you to manage it and be on top of it every day is incredible amount of hard work. I don't think it's anything other than that. Mm. Yeah, I, I see that. So I, I didn't actually know that there's different mutations so I'm, I'm learning here and the ones who have the the worst version of the of the condition so they are very sedentary they, they are they like almost in the bed all the time or, or how is their uh... no so i mean exercise capacity if you were to think of vo2 or something like that isn't necessarily related to um, disease severity or we often categorize people based on the lung function so this mm. very so the, the two are independent you can have a really high lung function and um, have really low exercise capacity and vice versa really mm. um, so yeah it's I, get, I think more of it's down to the amount of activity they do throughout their life as opposed to just sort of what genes they ended up with I think you, you can offset it to some extent okay let's get back to that in a moment and hear a few words from our sponsors this podcast is sponsored by Fibian a research device that has been shown to be valid in tracking sitting, standing, physical activity and energy expenditure. Furthermore, Fibian has been shown to be valid categorizing physical activity into light, moderate and vigorous intensity. Get scientific validation and learn more about Fibian at fibian.com research. Yeah, how, how do you plan to, you don't know it, you haven't done the interviews for the qualitative, but how do you, what do you think will be the kind of intervention? How, how will it different from the normal population? What do you, what do you expect to see? Uh, well, the, the first part of it is trying to identify the, the barriers to the PA that are unique to CF. So mm. we assume we'll get the same sort of barriers we see in the general population about time and maybe motivation to do it, but it's, we're trying to look for what what's actually unique in CF. Um, one thing that we'll likely see is that uh, people don't tend to exercise with the peers. So two people with CF couldn't exercise together because of cross contamination. They'd be at risk to each other. Oh, all right. Um, yeah. But what often happens, which is more anecdotal evidence, is that people will fall off their peers at some point. So they'll be as active to a certain point, and then they their exercise tolerance will go down whereas their peers will continue to go up so they tend to not maybe they did something socially then they tend not to do it and they avoid doing activity with their peers mm. uh, so they they lose that big social part of sport which is is quite important so yeah that may be one thing that's unique to CF it may yeah. be unique to some people but not all I imagine yeah um, I think whatever we end up doing is is going to have to be bespoke and individualised it's, it's how we manage that in the real world is, is a big challenge mm, yeah hence having the clinicians on board as well yeah yeah 
And and do you plan to follow up this intervention to do somehow assess like what was the pre and post effects on, on physical activity or how do you plan to plan to do this part? That would be the ideal, uh, but it will have to come down to sort of funding and other things. So my PhD is due to finish and it's whether either another PhD comes on and does that or whether it's a postdoc. Um, mm. There'll be a few conversations about that yeah, as so and when we get to it. Um, perfect world that's what you'd want to do in a, in a nice research setting yeah um, yeah but yeah what happens we'll see yeah so you didn't have a follow-up funding yet for for no. that part no so right. we, we haven't planned it yet but it'll be um when we get to the point we'll be writing proposals and trying to trying to secure that if we can yeah yeah sounds sounds good and how has it been with like always working with the patience is a little bit different from the ethical approvals and and so on so what have you learned about that process during your work and what could you share for other people who plan to do some work with the patients maybe cf or other i mean i came from a background of working with these patients already so i had an idea of what the challenges were and the things i'd need to consider um there aren't any huge obstacles but it takes time Everything takes time, just going through the layers of approval, going through the NHS, um, setting up links with the local hospitals and such, it just takes an awful long time. Uh, for what seems very low risk in terms of putting a few monitors on people, uh, there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of admin that needs to be done. Yeah, I'm sometimes wondering how is it like uh, the ethical approval process, even if you have healthy participants and you have a questionnaire it's it's not easy to get even the ethical approval like it it takes work and then having patience i guess it's more work then you have some devices like it takes more work was there something like about the measurement side that you need needed to take into consideration with the with the ethics uh not particularly. So I mean, we went, we went through the whole process, start to beginning. We we're very thorough. Uh, so we got the clinicians involved. We had approval from the hospital. We took it to the patient advisory group at the hospital and got their approval. Uh, all prior to actually taking it to an ethics committee to approve. Uh, so once it eventually got to the ethics committee, it was approved pretty swiftly. We ironed out any increases by working with our collaborators. So I mean. There aren't any tricks or anything difficult about the process. As I said, it just takes a lot of people reviewing it at different stages to approve it. But I mean, it went through fairly cleanly. It just took took a long time. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And is it like your research group? Are you the only researcher doing this? So how how is the how is your research? Group? So the way we're structured is that it's my PhD, and then I have supervisors within the university. Yeah. And then we set up links with the hospital locally and so some of the doctors there are advisors and help support things, uh, recruitment, screening, uh, give advice on the project from that side. So. Mm, yeah, yeah. And by the time we've approved it as a group, uh, it's it's already gone through some sort of rigorous scrutiny. Yeah, and how is your supervisory group? Are they experts on CF or physical activity side or both? Uh, so we've got a few dis different disciplines. We've got physiology, physical activity, 
um, some qualitative methodology. We've got a couple of different expertise within our research group. Mm. Uh, and then we look to the clinicians for the sort of expertise in, in CF, really. Yeah. So uh, each of the supervisory team brings something else to the project and they all have their own respective expertise. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like said, we are at the Liverpool John Moores University and they have a really good sport and exercise science, yeah. depending how you look top one or top two in UK and I think top 10 in the world. Well, so I guess it's a good work environment to learn. Yeah, I mean, if I come into any problems or struggle with my PhD, it's definitely on me and not on the supervisory team. Like, I've I've got world leading experts at my beck and call. So yeah, and and how is your like? There's a lot of physical activity research here. Mm-hmm. How are your supervisors? What kind of studies they are are doing at the moment? They they cover pretty much every aspect. I mean, um, they have a separate exchange within the research group that looks at physical activity and they cover everything from school-based, community-based, workplace, clinical. They, um, yeah, they're, there are projects involved in, in pretty much every aspect you could imagine and lots of different organizations within the city and beyond that they work with. Mm, yeah, yeah, I can see that. And how is the working here with the other PhD students? How is the the daily work yeah I mean, that's one of the nice things so I, I went and worked away and all I did was eat sleep and breathe CF and now I see what other people are doing I see other projects um, sort of carry on learning a bit more about the field outside of CF which is really nice I guess um, yeah I'm the only person here that does anything CF related so yeah that can be a bit of a challenge sometimes when you're the only person doing your thing but it's nice to see where else is going on. There's a big community here, lots of postgrads, all doing something different. Yeah, and you're kind of divided in the other building. You have more like the physiology side, or, or this one is more about physical activity side, and the others are the rest. Of, yeah, so there's different research groups. We've got cardiovascular group, we've got metabolism group, we've got biomechanics group. Um, so each sort of division of sports science is split into slightly different groups. Um, yeah. And I think it's more of a geographical thing. These offices are available, so the, the exchange works out of these offices and that building with the labs for the sort of physiology is where their offices are based. But there's yeah. a little bit of crossovers, so some of my stuff involves physiology, some over here a little bit, I'm over here a little bit. My yeah. supervisors are in different departments. So Yeah, yeah. I have just found myself that usually it's, even if the buildings are like 200 meters away, it's yeah. kind of a long distance to have like the informal chats when you stay in building you have a coffee and you end up talking with people and actually exchanging knowledge but then when you're in a different building it might be quite a bit of of barrier yeah there is that to an extent like some of the guys based over here will probably stay over here the whole time and never have much reason to go across to the labs Uh, as i say i'm fortunate that i do a little bit of both but i guess as an institution they try put on seminars and try have different meetings where we will interact a little bit more but Mm. Yeah. yeah, I do get your point though. It's um, even if it's so close, it does seem a little separate. It, it seems yeah. seems far. Yeah, yeah, always like that. So plus, uh, it's huge as well. Yeah, there are a lot of postgrads here doing a lot of different stuff. So. Yeah, yeah, probably that's why the ranking is also high. That you get a lot of funding and can have a lot of research. So when when is your when do you plan to have your PhD ready? I I am hoping by the end of the year. End um, of the year. All right. So still a lot to do before then, though. Kind of a, 
a last sprint. Yeah, like. I am. Uh, I'm waiting for the green light on my next study any minute. I'm waiting on ethics right now. Yeah, I think for me in my PhD, like the the first years, I didn't have any publications published, and then all of them three came like the last year. Yeah. So it's, it's usually you kind of work, 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 and then things start to go like, all right, got this, got this. So, so that's quite common. So. Uh, Maybe next year, 2020, you will be having a PhD. What's the What's the plan? Do you want to go back to work with the patients, continue as a researcher, or how do you see it? Yeah, so I mean, the, the plan is probably a terrible one. Uh, I've sort of followed what I was interested in rather than what would set me up as a nice career. Uh, so as I said earlier, there aren't many people working in this field clinically. Like the, mm. the job roles that I would like to go and do don't quite exist yet. I think the, the sort of field of exercise in CF has got a little bit of catching up to do. Um, I would like to go about working clinically and I'd like to be working with patients daily. But as I say, I, there aren't really too many too many of those jobs out and ready for me to go into. Mm. Uh, and they wouldn't really be at any higher level than I was doing before the PhD. Yeah. Uh, there's still plenty of opportunity for more research to be done. As I said, my, the intervention we get to I want to deliver that and evaluate that at some point, whether that's me or somebody else. Uh, but there may be postdocs further down the line, where I guess doing the PhD now opens the door to academia, which is something that I didn't have before. So beforehand, mm. I worked clinically or, or nothing. Now I've got the option of splitting it between academia and clinical, trying to get a mix of the two. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I personally find like really interesting, like, I like research, I like science, but doing it full time is you kind of it, it's quite narrow the, the scope. So I actually, I think throughout my my time, I've been always combining that like working in the field and doing research, and I think that has been really good. Although I don't get as much research done as I would do it full time, but I think it's it's really important for academia, especially in this kind of things actually to get get kind of information from the from the field not yeah. to end up doing research just yeah. in the labs i think most people would want to see that their research is doing something or making a difference and in cf with it being a chronic condition you see your patients very regularly you become involved in aspects of their lives and you get to know them really well so it'd be really good working clinically to actually see it having some benefit and that's a really rewarding part of working in CF is you can see people having a better quality of life and you feel like you've actually done something useful. Um, when you sit behind a computer putting out papers and wondering whether people read them, mm. you don't really see that benefit straight away. You know, you hope you do a really high impact, useful journal that goes out and makes a yeah. difference, but that's a lot more difficult to see. Like seeing the benefit to an individual patient is, is probably much more more rewarding than seeing a high number of citations somewhere down the line. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a good point, Lynn. Like, it's more practical and more useful when you do actually apply it, or it's easier to see the link to some some benefits in the world. If you're doing really basic research, it's it's really far, yeah. and might be sometimes the meaning of it might be lost. So if you actually do applied research. And you see it being applied in the field it's it's probably quite rewarding i would guess there's probably some benefits of working in the field in terms of actually having access to participants and being able to conduct research as well it's probably much easier to do it 
as somebody who's already in the organisation who already has access to the patients and hopefully you'll only be collecting that data routinely anyway and then if you've got that inclination to do research then you can do that anyway you can use the data you can interpret it you can write it up I don't think there are enough people who work clinically that use the data that they have access to there's a lot of good physiologists and a lot of good physios working with patients with CF who one they don't have time because of the pressures of the job but maybe they're not as research focused as we are mm. given that we're the ones that have ended up here doing research and doing PhDs and they're the ones that have worked in the clinical roles but now there's there's a huge amount of data out there yeah how, how is it actually back to CF like how often the people the patients with CF how often they see actually a healthcare professional like so what's typical is they would at least attend for an annual review yeah uh, but more often than not they're in pretty much every eight weeks every eight weeks and they, they will see a full uh, multidisciplinary team so they'd see dietitian nurse uh, physiotherapist psychologist access to the to the works really mm. um, obviously various different points within the condition and uh, different periods of time they'll have more contact than others and sometimes less yeah maybe that would be the approach also for non-patients to have a multidisciplinary team eight weeks to meet and <laughs> discuss how is your activity and nutrition going yeah I guess for a patient you want to be there as as infrequently as possible and when you do touch base it's to say that everything's going well but unfortunately this is a group that spend a lot of time in and around hospitals and clinics mm, yeah and in, in this podcast we try to bring in some information that you don't usually get to get to write them in the in the research paper there's limited space so so do you have anything that comes to your mind that you want to kind of share what what you cannot write in the papers but this is kind of useful information for researchers put me on the spot now yeah and, uh, i came in as a physiologist and i've ended up with a lot more qualitative work so i've ended up with a few thousand more words in my journals than i usually get in so i think i've been getting a little bit more into my papers for um what other sort of things have you been seeing are people with uh what type of things do people not usually include in the papers that they'd like to Yeah, uh, that's a good question. <laughs> you put me in the spot now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so actually, from from there, I I can go and avoid the question like uh, about the qualitative part. Are you actually doing the interviews, or do you have someone else? Like the plan is for me to do the the one to one interviews, um, but we we may have somebody else who's a little more experienced facilitate the focus groups, or I, I may do them myself with enough practice and training yeah. beforehand. Yeah, I've been I've been doing some like my PhD was fully quantitative, but I've been kind of as a hobby doing some some qualitative psychology mm-hmm. research as as mainly as a co-author, but also helping some interviews. And I have learned a lot. And it's usually that the quantitative people they think that qualitative is just like interviewing, not really having proper methods. So it's yeah. it's it's this quite a lot to learn so I think it's uh, yeah. beneficial to have a good professional there the last few months I've been looking more into my methodology and yeah uh, when you just think oh yeah you just do an interview you go and do it as if there's no preparation before and you just waltz in there and ask some questions it's a uh, portrait it's not quite as straightforward as that but. yeah 
Yeah, that's it. I think there's a um, there's a big argument for using the methods that answer the questions that you have, and you know, to get the information we want and get the patient's experiences, then that requires qualitative methods. So, mm. you know, take a sort of pragmatic approach to it. Yeah, Just yeah. And maybe other questions. So we we try to have quite a much information about physical activity assessment methods in mm-hmm. this this podcast. So. So you have been using the wrist-worn devices. Have you had experience of the other, like hip-worn, thigh-worn devices? And uh, so yeah, some thigh-worn uh, inclinometers we've also been using uh, to try and get a measure of sedentary behaviour. Uh, haven't used hip-worn. Uh, there's quite a few people within the department, but haven't used them personally. Yeah. So did you use the thigh-worn uh, with the CF patients? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we used two so we use wrist one and thigh at the same time all right yeah and did you find any like the thigh worn it's not so easy wrist is like just like what's being worn how how did it go with the with the with the thigh i guess in theory the idea behind the thigh one is you put it on and it stays on uh but we had quite a few people that did take them off um but yeah yeah not, not too bad on whole let's say yeah uh, in terms of compliance from the patient yeah, so you, you waterproofed and then used the uh, yeah. medical grade uh, yeah, like a Tegaderm film to, yeah. to keep it in place. Yeah. We were only monitoring for seven days, so we left it on for the full seven days. Yeah. yeah, and you said that some people took it off, or was, did you find any reasons Purely why? Purely aesthetic, uh, on the most part. Um, we checked with people if they had any allergies to the sort of film we were using, so no people had sort of any allergic response to it. It was mainly if they were going out and didn't want to have a big thing stuck on the leg and they're mm. they wearing shorts or skirts and yeah things. so was so it mainly that they took them off on friday evening like a couple, yeah. <laughs> so, so basically to to do the measurements better you start on sunday so you can actually quite many days before the participants take them off yeah well, i'd say on the whole compliance was pretty good with them yeah from the yeah. patient's perspective yeah, and I think you said that there was no allergic reaction. I think the tegaderm, for example, it's really well breathing, so not mm. many people have like not, skin problems with not it. Not that I experienced. I think it, it was one of those things we considered as a possibility, but fortunately we didn't get it. Um, in CF, it's also the type of film they use to keep some of their, um, if they have any cannulas in sight, or All right. they use something similar, so, so uh, we had access to, to the notes and we knew that people did. Well, anyone who did have allergies to it, we knew about in advance. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's good. And and do you have any like uh, kind of wishes how how the physical activity assessment could be better, uh, either in general or for the CF patients? What would you wish to see? Like, I think as I think we're we're trying to use the raw data a little bit more. I think as it currently stands. Even if the raw data analysis is perfect and it tells us exactly what we want to tell, it's not likely to be useful clinically. Uh, I can't see clinicians installing and downloading it, looking at the raw data files. Um, I can't see it being immediately translatable. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I guess really easy, simple, straightforward, yet robust assessment analysis software uh, would be the key for me. Yeah, I think the raw data is kind of practical uh, or good in the paper, mm-hmm. but when you actually have the big data files, what was the sampling frequency you were using? We did 30 hertz. Yeah, so you end up seven days. wide big. 
big data yeah. files. Quite a lot of data to get through. Yeah. yeah. As I say, I mean, from what I've seen clinically, people don't even use the sort of ready-made packages. Um, they don't tend to use accelerometers, even the ones with the more user-friendly software interfaces. Mm. Uh, so to go from not doing any assessment to suddenly yeah, analyze this raw data seems quite unlikely. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of interest from clinicians about sort of um, consumer level devices and whether they're useful and as valid and reliable because they can download apps for them and see them and they get pretty pictures and colours and mm. they're a little more user friendly. Uh, so it's probably a balance between the two, having the, the same quality data that you get from your raw data analysis and Mm. It's easy and it's friendly to use as a sort of consumer level devices. Yeah, I was just about to ask, like before you started saying about consumer level, mm. level like usually they are quite alright describing the amount of steps. Mm. NSA expenditure is probably not not very close there. Mm. Maybe some activity time in a way mm. they have a little bit different. So do you see that? Just measuring the steps or something with the with the Fitbit or something is is useful? I give you some information. Uh, I think one thing that I've not wanted to use the consumer level devices for is because I give you the feedback. I think mm. as an intervention tool where you want to give participants feedback and you maybe you set them some goals related to that, but in terms of doing an assessment, you don't want to give that feedback back to people immediately. Uh, or you at least want to be able to control how you give that feedback. So you you mean that you don't want them to see the feedback because that would affect that their, would yeah, their behavior? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. And I, I think sometimes it might be that if you are only measuring steps, you give incentive to take more steps. Exactly. And I have seen even some people like they stop cycling to work because they need steps. So they start walking instead of su- cycling and it takes more time and you get more steps but I don't know if it's any better than cycling <laughs> like, and uh, I think people have in their head how many steps they should be achieving um, and yeah they'll just go until they get to that and then probably stop once they get over it so mm. it may not be the most useful measure yeah and of course like there's different advantages having more vigorous activity mm-hmm. yeah. at least some minutes and then it's or about energy expenditure and, and the lower That's intensity activity. For assessment purposes, we just want to see what's typical. So, yeah. So we don't get the feedback. We try and measure as many things as we can. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, it's been it's been really interesting themes. Like, and if there's some of the listeners would like to do collaboration with you, how they can how they can reach you. Uh yeah, I'm at the university, so either through me or my supervisory team, and I'm on Twitter as well. So yeah, so just Google your name, and the email will pop up. Uh, Cystic Fibrosis Trust has a lot of information on CF. If anyone's interested in learning more about what that is and how that may impact physical activity or the benefits of physical activity in CF, there's uh, plenty of resources on there. Yeah, yeah. I'm assuming they don't want to read my articles. <laughs> they they might want to read. So in I, I assume you are in the research gate, so they can ask directly the paper paper there. Yeah, is there is there anything you would like to discuss more? Or uh, I've still not answered your previous question about the things I'd like to include. That oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get back to that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Something. 
But uh, nothing in particular. I mean, any more questions CF related that you, you may have come across since it's something new to you? Yeah, I, I don't know know that much about it, but I, I have already learned learned some and I, I think I what I had in mind I already asked. Yeah, maybe we can you can if you have any colleagues who could be good in this podcast so you can throw a challenge who, who would be the who could I ask for as a guest? Uh, so you want guys that look at physical activity? Anything else in particular or just physical activity? No, basically physical activity uh, some maybe that they are doing some assessment so can discuss about uh, those those aspects. There are people I know but I'm not sure how happy they'd be about being called out on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, you can also leave, leave it out. I can, <laughs> I can uh, ask this off the yeah, record. Maybe I'll not uh, roll them into it here. Yeah, yeah. All right, that's good. Yeah, no, I, I think it's been really interesting discussion. It's it's very important work you're doing. It's great that, that you are doing this work. It, it definitely has an impact on, on real world and, and on on a patients who have serious conditions. So I, I think it's it's really great what you do. And I, I want to wish you best of luck with your end of your PhD and then then with what will follow after that. So so thanks a lot being here as a guest. Cheers, thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Fibium, a research device that has been shown to be valid in tracking sitting, standing, physical activity and energy expenditure. Furthermore, Fibian has been shown to be valid categorizing physical activity into light, moderate and vigorous intensity. Get scientific validation and learn more about Fibian at fibian.com research. Thank you for listening to the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast.